there is two things I feel like women have a hard time talking about. It's money and self-care, right? And it's the first thing we're like, I don't wanna talk about that, but it's the two things we need more than anything else in the world. Yeah, well, the biggest issue with that is that we've kind of been trained uh, in that mindset, you know, we don't talk about politics, we don't talk about religion, we don't talk about money, we don't talk about sex at the table, right? That's right. These are all these are all things that like have always been taboo for women to talk about, right? But men, it's all it's a free for all. Welcome everyone to another fabulous episode of Get Carried Away. I'm getting carried away with Kellyanne Winget. <laughs> How did I do? Um, she is the founder of Alternative Wealth Partners, and we are going to be talking about money, one of my favorite topics, all about angel investing, venture capital, private equity. And if you are thinking I'm speaking Greek, it's okay. She's going to explain it all to us. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you, Carrie, for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this because money is one of my favorite topics. Same. And that's part of the reason why I built the Wealthy Women Summit, which you attended. Mm -hmm. I love that you came from Texas. Um, I hope you got a lot out of it. it. There is two things I feel like women have a hard time talking about. It's money and self-care, right? And it's the first thing we're like, I don't want to talk about that, but it's the two things we need more than anything else in the world. So everybody, note to self, <laughs> just start talking about it. <laughs> Yeah, well, the biggest issue with that is that we've kind of been trained uh, in that mindset. You know, we don't talk about politics, we don't talk about religion, we don't talk about money, we don't talk about sex at the table, right? That's right. These are all these are all things that like have always been taboo for women to talk about, right? But men, it's all it's a free for all. Um, yeah. This is what they're talking about at the country clubs. This is what they're talking about in the golf on the golf course. This is what they're talking about at dinner amongst themselves. They'll even talk about it in front of their wives at dinner. But the wives can't comment on any of this stuff. It's all very old school, especially here in Texas. Um, yeah. I, I've been in those rooms, and because of my demeanor, you know, I can be a part of those conversations, which is why I've been able to leverage um that type of experience that i've been able to have in order to give access to other people who wouldn't necessarily be invited to those conversations um but it's definitely been trained from the beginning for us to just not talk about i was really lucky my parents talked about this stuff all the time with the children in the room so um even though we might have been sitting at the kids table we were still part of the conversation um, and that was really important as far as our upbringing and making me so confident about talking about it now. Wow. Well, then that brings me to my, always my first question. Um, if I would have asked 10-year-old Kelly what she wanted to be when she grew up, would she say an investment partner, <laughs> the founder of a fund? What would she have said? <laughs> um I have always really liked money and making money. Um, I was always making deals. So I would do, I would do the highest paying chore in the house one time and then pay my sister to do all of the other chores I didn't want to do. And so <laughs> I was always making these kinds of deals from the very beginning of time. And um, I, I just really liked finding the solution to a problem and getting paid for it. Right. And what was and the this, most expensive chore? I'm dying to know. Um, lawn work. Mm. Anything to do with the lawn work. We had like um, 
a lot of trees in our in our house and like these boxwood trees out in the uh, backyards so these bush these big bushes that were squared off and so like in the 90s you always had these like perfectly square oh yeah bushes <laughs> that lined your fences and um we uh we lived on the golf course okay just to give you an example like I was raised very privileged and I accept that so we lived on the golf course and so the way that the uh greenway ran from or the fairway ran against our house the tee box if you if you did not hit correctly that ball was going into our yard and there was nothing you could do about it so watch out uh, my first small business that i started was selling golf balls back to golfers um and because we had a big black scary dog i would sit in the backyard with the dog holding the golf balls and i would sell them back to the golfers for a dollar <laughs> I was like, your choice is either to come onto the property where this dog is or give me a dollar. And I'm like a small child. So they, <laughs> they usually uh, opted for the dollar. Um, I love it. See, always an, an entrepreneur. I have this yeah. entrepreneurial spirit where your were your parents kind of encouraging that in you, like in your schooling yeah. and education, you weren't in square dancing classes. You were in the finance <laughs> classes. Well, um, my parents ran several small businesses before they even chose to have children. Um, my parents met in college and um, they didn't have children until they're like mid to late thirties. So they were married for like 10 years before having kids. And so in that period of time, my father started a couple small businesses. They flipped houses. This is in like the late seventies and eighties, right? They're mm -hmm. doing like what people are now thinking is really popular. My parents were doing like four years ago. Wow. So, um, <laughs> so we were just always exposed to that. And then uh, my father um, went back to, you know, corporate America and started working for PricewaterhouseCoopers, um, was very high up uh, with uh, PwC. My mom, um, both accountants and CPAs. So my mom also accounting and CPA, worked for a couple oil companies um, and then other small businesses and eventually ended up, uh, she was flipping apartment complexes when I was in high school. And then after she stopped doing that, we all left the house. She was like empty nester. She went kind of back to her boring desk job as a accountant for a, um, an, a, an auto wholesaler. So they were selling like classic cars and, and cars wow. to big dealers and stuff like that. So she was, um, ahead of finance finance there. So I love I've been since the beginning of time. Wow. That is so unique. Uh, especially, um, I also grew up in the same era. Um, and we didn't talk about money at the table. We didn't, you know, and I came from a military family, so we really didn't talk about it because um, your pay was based on your level rank in the military. Um, that is fascinating. So then what got you from selling golf balls before Alternative Wealth Partners? Where did you go to college? What, did you take that track? Like where, what inspired you to get into building wealth? So, um, I turned 15 and I wanted a really expensive pair of bedazzled blue jeans from Obviously. Buckle. People know what that is. You know, they're yeah. all like the little diamonds. And so they were really popular when I was in high school and I wanted a pair and they're like $300. And my parents were like, ha, ha, no. Um, so, cause even though like they were well-to-do, they made it very clear that we were in charge of our own destiny and they were mm -hmm. not going to pay for it. So, um, uh, I said, fine. They're like, go get a job and pay for them yourself. And I said, fine. And so I literally like walked out the back door and down the road and got a job at a car wash as a cashier. And I started upselling 
um, everybody's tickets from the cash register. So they, people would buy car wash, come inside and I'd be like, oh, you didn't get your carpet shampooed or, oh, you didn't get a tire shine or da 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 da. And so it's upselling inside. So I got moved outside to start selling car washes and I'm 15. Okay. Wow. So then you I can't even drive the car yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so I start outselling everybody outside. So then they move me to the larger car wash in the other part of town. So in high school, I'm like working at these car, this car wash and I'm selling car wash. These are like high-end detail packages, um, uh, like waxes and whatever else. And, uh, so I worked there from the time I was 15 until I was 21. And so in, in high school, part-time working like literally Friday nights, Saturdays and Sundays, and I was making almost $60,000 a year wow. as a part-time salesperson. So um, I was buying several of my own jeans. <laughs> and uh, so I had that job in high school. I also worked at like chick like I had a lot of jobs. I had three jobs in, in high school. I loved making money. I liked spending money. And um, when I graduated high school, I tried three different colleges because I was going into business and, and uh, economics. And um, I just... Every class that I took seemed really, really easy and a waste of money. Yeah. So I'm like, I couldn't like, uh, I couldn't like rationalize my with myself on why am I paying this person to teach me something I'm already doing out in the real world, and I can buy the same book and read it myself, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I decided it wasn't for me. And I was just going to keep my head down and work really hard and keep nice. making the money. I was so um, I'm one of those people that if things don't stay interesting, I get bored and leave. So yeah. kind of bouncing around, I worked uh, and bouncing around. I mean, I was working like three years at a job and then moving. And um, I, I, when I graduated high school, I started working for a radiology company. So I was working with like 60 doctors at like 16 different locations in Dallas. So I was learning a lot about radiology and like medicine and mm -hmm. private practice. And then from there I moved into demolition. So then I was learning a lot about construction and demolition and cost estimating and building out databases. And that experience was what kind of pushed me into what I'm doing now. It's because I got really good at analyzing data um, to make something, make a lot of money. So I was doing these really intricate, like cost estimate, cost estimates for construction. I took that same kind of mentality and uh, strategy and put it towards oil and gas because I got hired by an oil and gas company to do this for them. And this was in 2013 when oil prices were starting to get to like $130 a barrel. And I was like, something's not right here. The assets shouldn't cost this much. Gas and oil shouldn't be the price this high. You have to change something. They didn't want to listen. So I said, have a nice day. Hope you figure it out. And I moved to California. And uh, about six months later, oil prices like crashed to $30 a barrel. And they went out of business. Interesting. Yeah. So I was in California and just started raising capital for other types of businesses, anything from like medical devices and cannabis to tech startups and real estate. So um, I did my four years in California. Um, the weather's really nice, but my people are here in Texas and I moved back uh, to Dallas and focused back on oil and gas in 2018, uh, worked my way through a family office and then a large private equity company. And once I got to the what's well, the perceived top of private wealth, um, I realized I was the smartest person in the room and that was really dangerous. And so I said, if 
they're doing it like this, I'm going to do it on my own and do it the right way. So I launched Alternative Wealth Partners in the middle of the pandemic um, nice. because there was a huge gap between um, the information investors were getting and the investor and the information that investors should be getting, especially when there's a lot of panic in the market and people are looking for something alternative. So that's where Alternative Wealth Partners came from. I wanted to give access and education to investors to start investing in alternatives outside of the stock market. Right. Oh, I freaking love this. This is incredible. Um, so what does alternative investing look like? Like mm -hmm. if you were telling 11 year old, this is what alternative investing looks like. Yes. What would you, how would you describe that? So alternative investing is everything outside of stocks, bonds, and currency like cash. Mm -hmm. um, so your real estate investing is an alternative. Your precious metals investing is an alternative. Crypto's alternatives, private equity is uh, an alternative. So investing in a privately owned company, starting your own company is an alternative investment. Um, like people are getting really into like laundry mats. That's an alternative investment. So all of these things that you're doing outside of buying your Exxon stock, you know, your right. Tesla stock is alternative. And there, there are like alternative, like, uh, ETFs and stuff, but that's just things that aren't usually invested in the stock market, but a true alternative is everything off of the market, everything off the market. Love it. Love it. And when, um, you built it, I know there you've, you also found a gap in investors, right? You weren't working with a lot of women. How in that, in your kind of mission of AWP that you were like, I'm going to make more women be in a place that have access to funding like this. What was kind of the drive behind that when you were building this fund? So for 10 years, there's, and I want your like the audience to understand the fact that you don't know this information is on purpose. Mm -hmm. So don't feel bad um, or feel stupid or, you know, like you're missing something. It's literally on purpose. Um, the, the brokers, the financial institutions, they are specifically not marketing to you. And um, if you've ever seen the movie Boiler Room, there's literally a phrase that says, don't pitch the bitch. Yeah. And it's the sales training for people on the phone. The wife answers the phone if the husband's not available to hang up, right? So these private opportunities are only marketed to 55, 65 and up white men. Um, cause they think that those are the only people who can write checks. And I realized from my own experience that I would have these long conversations with the, that type of investor and it would come to time, it would come to the time to write the check. And they didn't know what bank account, where the checkbook was, you know, how much money they actually had to invest. And they had to go ask their wife. Okay. And whether it was a cop out or not, the wife would get on the phone and they would be mad because they don't know what has been talked about for the last, you know, three weeks that this person's been negotiating back and forth. Um, and the reality is, is that we are making the financial decisions for our household, but we are not making the financial decisions as far as our estates go. And that's going to be really dangerous because we are going to inherit it all. And if we don't know where it is or how it's been managed for the last 30 years of your marriage, how are you going to you know, protect yourself after your spouse is gone. Um, we outlive our spouses. Um, if, if you're married to a man, you will outlive him. Yeah. Um, and uh, speaking from personal experience, like my father died at 
59 from a heart attack. And most men literally turn 59 or 60 years old and have heart attacks and die. And um, we have to be prepared for that to be a possibility. And if you're never talking to your partner about what they're doing with their investments, when you inherited that wealth, your financial advisor is just going to say, John took care of it. I know what John wanted to do with this. And we have to be confident enough to say, well, like, John's gone and it's my life now and yeah. my financial needs are this and yeah. I need to invest this way and understand how to direct your money. And it's a, it's an important thing to have to take ownership of. And uh, so that's what I've decided I'm going to do. I just spend a lot of time talking to women about, please think about money in any way. Like, even if you don't want to be responsible for investing, just have the conversation and know what's going on. You don't have to have complete control, but just to have some sort of insight into where that is. Mm -hmm. Have you always been self-driven or, or was there anyone that you looked to that you kind of were like, oh, she's really inspiring. She's in the money space, you know, or has this always been like this internal drive in you? Um, a lot of it comes from myself, but also like my mom is really inspiring. She's always had a lot of control of her own financial um, well-being and uh, she's very smart with her money. Um, and she's also very creative with her money. Like she, she has a managed portfolio, but she also manages another part of her portfolio and they compete with each other, like her financial advisor and her like compete with their portfolios and who's doing better. <laughs> And uh, which is kind of fun to watch. But as far as like a, a public figure, like Sally Krawcheck is really um, just an incredible person. And if you're in the private wealth space, like she is private wealth. Like yeah. she is literally the the wolf on Wall Street. I'm not even a wolf on Wall She is the bull. She The yeah. girl that is standing in front of that bull is Sally Krawcheck. And yeah, and she's just incredible. And I've had a... a uh, many opportunities to meet her in person and have conversations with her and work with her. We're, we're a series B investor in Elevest. Um, Elevest is a female founded, female created financial platform that's literally created specifically for women who want to start investing. And it starts from basic financial literacy all the way to private wealth, which is what Sally's background is. And so their private wealth portion. So if you have a million dollars or you're a high income earner, like and you want somebody who is on your side and understands you as a woman, as a female investor, like Elevest is a place to go. And um, I I had a membership of Elevest before I was even an investor in Elevest. So it's kind of like, you know, take that for what that is. Yeah, um, that says a lot. Yeah. And so I, it's a great unbiased place to go um, if you're wanting to learn more about where your money is. Yeah. And how to, and it sounds like your mom was your first teacher, yes. which is really, really, really important. Cause then you're creating a legacy of wealth yes. um, from her on down to you and then your family and, and so on and so forth. I love that. Now let's clear up for everyone to understand the difference between angel investing, venture capital and private equity. Yeah. How could you also break that down in bite-sized pieces for my audience sure. to digest? Sure. So private equity is the umbrella of these asset classes. Okay. So venture capital and angel investing falls under private equity, right? But the private equity strategy is very different from like a VC fund or you as an angel investor in something. So angel investing, you're literally probably the first check in the door. 
somebody has a really good idea, you're most likely a friend or family or know somebody who knows somebody and you're, you know, supporting a, a brand new business, or maybe it's the first check that a business, like an ongoing business is decided to take from another investor. So no longer are they self-funding. They're now going out and saying like, Hey, I need a piece of equipment. I can't buy it. My bank doesn't want to lend it to me. Like maybe my uncle will give me $30,000, go buy a piece of equipment that would make him like his uncle would be an angel investor. Um, VC is going to be more focused in, uh, right now it's a lot of healthcare, FinTech, um, uh, health tech startups, right? Your VC strategy is kind of a shotgun, uh, approach. You're going to invest in a lot of companies, maybe smaller check amounts, and you're going to hope for these big wins because you're, you're the next check-in from that angel investor. Um, there might be a, a, a series of capital raised from maybe a little bit bigger than angel investors, but VC is kind of that next uh, layer of funding. Then you have private equity. Private equity typically um, invest in controlling interest of privately owned companies. Um, so they're going to go in, they're going to buy 51% or more of a business and turn it around, do some things, and then turn around, flip it or take it public or something. Um, there are also private equity companies like Alternative Wealth Partners that does more growth private equity. So we're coming in and we're providing growth capital. So maybe a company has been around for a few years. They've kind of exhausted their relationship with their bank. So, you know, they're beyond a line of credit. They're beyond, a, you know, equipment financing. They, they need more money, but there's not the traditional funding routes available to them anymore. Um, but they're not quite at the angel level. Like someone writing a $50,000 check is not going to get them to the next level. Right. They need like two, three, four, maybe even 10 or $20 million. Mm -hmm. They're going to go to private equity and we can provide um, kind of creative capital solutions that can take them to that next level. And then we flip it to much larger private equity companies. And that's how, that's how we operate. We don't take controlling interest, but I have the relationships with our portfolio companies, the companies that we invest in that we can come in and provide not only money, but also the advice. So we have advisors in place that help with like accounting issues or mm, marketing cool. or, you know, any type of supply chain issue they're ha they have. And that's just from our network. Um, kind of like how broad network connects all these people. We do yeah. the same thing in, in our private equity companies. And um, that's the difference between a venture capital and private equity is kind of that extra layer of, of commitment to the success of the business. A lot of venture capitals might have the advisory as far as like um, maybe a COO or a CEO or how to fundraise more, mm -hmm. uh, but not actually in the operational side of like, how do you, where do you fix the supply chain issues? Um, the VC investor isn't going to be doing that, but the P the PE investor will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, wow, this is sexy. I love this topic so much. I could talk about this forever. Um, yeah. What people when you are, were people are investing in this space and they don't even know it. So it's kind of it having you understand like this is an actual asset class that you can invest in is cool. Yeah, I love it. Um, now, what's when you were first starting out? You know, what what would you say your biggest risk was? It, what was something, have you ever invested in something you were real nervous about? Um, or do you, did you always feel like this is going to go good? Or were you like, yeah, let's all get 
on this train. <laughs> so I, the one thing that makes me really nervous is venture capital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because in tech, I, I really am, um, because I, I've worked on a lot of deals. I've worked on like over 200 private placements and I've raised almost a billion dollars in private capital. And I'm talking like a hundred thousand dollars at a time. It's a lot of work. And um, the only ones that I've ever seen fail like really bad have been tech companies. Hmm. And it's not necessarily like the tech didn't work or anything. It was just, it's really hard to find passionate um, manager management teams in technology, especially since only until recently, there haven't been a lot of female fund managers or um, just management teams in, fin in fintech or any type of uh, tech startup. It's been mostly men and they have a good idea. And then people throw a ton of money at it, right? Because yeah. there's what is the picture of a tech company, right? Um, the Silicon then, Valley guy, there he is. Right. right. So they, you have your tech bros and mm -hmm. um, they have like this dream idea and they kind of create sort of a version of it. And like, that's good enough for investors to dump a bunch of money into it, but there's no like follow through and they're not connected to it the same way that a lot of these business owners with like a tangible business are. And so for me, it's really hard to write a check for a tech company because there's nothing holding them accountable to like follow through. Um, one of the companies I worked with, they, I mean, $18 million was raised in a very short period of time and they created the app and they were starting to generate revenue. And then Uber wrote an article about launching Uber Freight, um, which was like a direct competitor for this startup. And they literally just like threw their hands up and they're like, oh, well, we can't do it because Uber's doing it. And I was like, but Uber's <laughs> not doing it. Right. Have, have you ever heard of Uber Freight until- No, right I have not. Yeah, no, exactly. I have not. They yeah. wrote one article and it was literally to scare wow. away. Wow. Yeah. And it was Damn. like, yeah, it's just one of those kind of really disappointing things because those investors, like, I mean, they understood the risk. Sure. Um, it's just one of those things where like, yeah, they lost because the company literally gave up. Oh. And if you have a tangible business, those types of business owners are so, like, they would put their blood, sweat, tears, family, everything into that um, and literally run it into the ground before they would give up. Um, and that's the same kind of, which is really cool to see all the female founders coming out of these companies, because even though they have a tech company, they're so like driven to make it succeed that they would do anything for it. And they've had mm -hmm. to strap it from the beginning. And they're only getting these tiny little checks written to them all the time. So they have to make it work. Yeah. You know, men from the beginning of the tech kind of boom is that it's really easy for them to walk into a room with a slideshow <laughs> and get written a $350 million check after yeah. failing with two other businesses. Right. Right. So women, if and Sally Krawcheck's a perfect example of that. Like she literally turned around and made Merrill Lynch what Merrill Lynch is. They fired her, okay? Put some guy in that didn't know what he was doing. And then now she's doing it again on her own. Everyone's like, oh, she doesn't know what she's doing. She literally did it three times. Yeah. E-Bank and Merrill Lynch. Like, you know, these are things like you can prove that you can do it, 
and you're still not going to get written the check or, you know, and this is me going on a tangent. We're getting carried away. Oh, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Getting carried away early. Um, (laughs) And so there's a lot of struggles there. And so, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be able to raise a lot of money. I've raised $17 million in the last 12 months for my own fund. And, um, but it really has a lot to do with the confidence and it's really nice to see kind of that change happening. So it's part of it. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, women becoming investors, although they've been around forever, it's like investing in other women or BIPOC, uh, companies, LGBTQ plus companies. Um, I see is honestly, is we're at an age of a new Renaissance and like, we are really at the beginning of something. And Kelly, what you're doing is you are literally laying the groundwork for this. Um, you and a lot of pe- women I've met that have been on this show that were at WeWo and, and everything. And it's really, really inspiring. Um, it's It almost gets me like, ooh, we're so close. We're so close. But yet yes. we are still very far. Yeah. Um, that being said, tech being not something you're, you would would really you know want to have anything to do with, what's what are companies that you do? see potential in or what do they have mm-hmm. in common that you're like, mm, I like what you guys are doing. I don't want to say you guys as in a yeah. blind term. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I say you guys all the time. My mom was born in, in uh, Pennsylvania and grew up in Long Island. So I say yes. you guys all the time, but um, I don't want people to be discouraged about investing in venture capital or startups or like being able to support the um, kind of the change in the face of tech um, because you just need to understand the risks. And this was my biggest thing of why I started Alternative Wealth Partners is because people, it's all a sales thing. Everyone out here raising capital, they're salespeople, okay? They want you to understand like, this is the best opportunity ever. Give us your money, right? And the reality is, is that it can be really, really good. Those companies can 100X, 1,000X. Like that's the reason why there's so much money getting dumped into VC, but the risk is you're going to be waiting a really long time for those things to become successful. Um, and you do have a higher degree of risk of loss and people need to understand that. Like you could really think a company is a really amazing idea, but you're like maybe one of a hundred people who think that, you yeah. know, and you need mm-hmm. to be able to scale that in order to make a return. So, you know, just keeping that in mind. Um I really like manufacturing. I really like infrastructure. I really like energy. I really like um, the tangible stuff, uh, like real tangible solutions to things. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a really big fan of the game Monopoly. And yeah. how you win Monopoly is owning all the railroads and all the utility companies. 100%. So, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm definitely a big fan of that. So like our, our fund is a diversified fund and we invest in everything from like oil and gas to cannabis. And so, you know, our, our kind of strategy there is that we're moving into this, um, you know, more domesticated ownership. So I think manufacturing is moving back to the United States, technology is moving back to the United States. We're kind of having this, um, blend of what happened after world war two. And then mm-hmm. also all the stuff that's happening in inflation, everything is like literally what happened in the seventies. So I think we're going to have more ownership of like the USA made products. So, and the rebuild America initiative and all these, Yeah, I was going to say that, yeah, they're throwing, the government is putting money towards it too. Yeah. Right. So, um, I think the more that we can support 
privately owned and small business that are doing these things, the better off we're going to be because ultimately it's the small businesses that boost the American economy and banks have stopped funding them because they think that the only asset they can fund is real estate Mm -hmm. uh, because they've stopped taking risks and and that's because the returns aren't there. So us as private investors and people in the audience that have the money to invest, like need to understand that you are going to make the change and you have to write the check. Um, Stop leaving your money in the bank. Okay. Because women historically sit on most of their net worth in cash. Yep. Which right now at like 15, 20% inflation, (laughs) you're, you're hurting your only yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, or they are, think they have to pay down all the debt. I can't be in debt. I can't be in debt. Yeah. <laughs> this is like the cheapest time to have debt. Like yeah, just it really is. Um, yeah. And uh, it, maybe not houses right now, but yeah. uh, um, there's there's an opportunity for you to be really powerful with your, your money, your cash, and it's not going to be in a savings account. Um, so support the businesses in your community. Support the businesses you think are going to you know, be the next wave of change. And that's what we want to be. Yeah, for sure. Especially, and that's hence the name alternative wealth. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, you're coming up with alternative solutions to problems or future problems, right? Especially with energy. I think that's a huge one. And whoever can figure out the water problem, especially here in California, here's my checkbook. How much do you want me to invest? Like I'm ready. (laughs) Yeah. There are companies out there that are doing things like that. And uh, now we have a large investment in the oil and gas space. And I know that California feels whatever they're going to feel about oil and gas. But um, the reality is, is that we cannot build a solution when oil is this high in price. Okay. And the only way to bring down the price of oil is to produce more of it. And so, um, so that it meets our demand, because right now we've had just a decade worth of government and investors saying, stop drilling. So the oil companies are like, okay. And so now the money's going back to investors. And now the government's like, you need to be drilling. They're like, but you just told us not to drill. Um, And so there's a lot of like, what are we actually supposed to be doing? And if we are doing what we're supposed to be doing, then now you're going to tax us on that then we don't want to do it, you know, yeah. and so it's really complicated. And there's this whole other side of the industry that people don't understand and um, changing our energy and infrastructure here in the United States is going to be a, like a Goliath of a project. And, yeah. um, and we're just, we're nowhere near ready for it. And no, we, we don't have, have the infrastructure. We don't have, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was crazy. I was in LA yesterday, right? And I'm driving around um, from the- shocked By the gas prices? <laughs> <laughs> I'm never shocked by California's gas prices. Um, uh, but the power lines in, Cal- in LA, okay? We, we're driving around and I'm pointing out to these power lines and there's these it's just massive power lines. And they've got like six or seven strings between them. They're all going to the buildings and everything. And I'm telling my publicist, I was like, you know, in Texas, all of our power lines are buried. Like they're not, yeah, they're not up in the sky. They're not attached to the buildings. Um, and they're much larger and go much further with less. And um, I was like, you're having transformers that are literal like energy stations, like connected to neighborhoods, schools, 
schools, you know, and like uh, Sony Studios has a giant transformer in the back of their studio lot. And uh, I'm like, this state is so pushy about switching to renewables, but there's like, look at what you've got. They, this cannot support that. So chain upgrade, come into the 21st century, a power movement, and then maybe you can get your power from other sources besides oil or natural gas. Yeah. And let's not even go down the rabbit hole of what's it mean to work next to a generator, a power for 20 years. I mean, what's that going to do to my, my my girls? Like what's that going to (laughs) happen? We haven't made yeah. that connection yet, but I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, so just like food for thought. And this is stuff that like, thankfully, which for me is a lot of fun to have to think about all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, how can we support these things? And and I don't work with, um, you know, the conglomerates of oil and gas. I work with small owner operators because about a third of our production in the United States comes from privately owned small operators. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a huge oh, wow. chunk of our production comes from privately owned. And we're one of the only places in the world that you as an individual person that exists here can own oil and sell it to an ExxonMobil. So, you know, mineral rights owners are literally just people that have wells drilled on the backside of their property. They'll never see it. And Exxon has gone in and they've drilled a well and they go two miles down and two and a half miles over and suck oil from the middle of the earth and then every day you get, or every month you get a check from Exxon for the oil they've taken out of your property. There like you, you get a rent check from Exxon. That's called <laughs> passive income, everyone. That's <laughs> passive income, yes. And we're the, only, we're the only place in the world that allows a private individual to own natural resources and sell it to a company like that. So you can be a dividend owner, like a stock owner that receives a dividend, or right. you could own the resource in the ground that they want the first check out of the door. Yeah. I'm going to start digging and see if I've got diamonds underneath my house. Well, where where do you live? I'm in LA. Yeah. Well, you Uh, should check your title and see if you have your rights. You probably don't, but no, probably. But um, (laughs) now if we scale back a little bit, so everyone doesn't start digging for oil. um, (laughs) (laughs) What um, if I, as what would you say is a comfortable amount that a woman, an individual would feel comfortable like going to a fund like yours and saying, I, I want to be an investor, but I yes. don't have $10 million. Yes. What maybe get 10 friends to make $10 million. I don't know what, what's like a great baseline for, sure. an, for someone to be new to this, to start with. Most private placements have a minimum typically between 25 and $50,000. Um, so those are the minimum check sizes they're taking. My minimum is $100,000. And that's just because our portfolios are very diversified. So you're not putting $100,000 in one company. You're getting your pro rata share. Of, I think we're up to 25 portfolio companies. So you just have your pro rata share of those businesses. And then you get a blended rate of return. So it really just depends on like what the strategy is and what their minimum is. Um, there are ways for you to like come together with a group of your friends and put together that money. Um, you do have to be accredited, which means that you're either a million dollar net worth outside of your personal residence. So all of your investable assets yeah, come up to about a million dollars. You have an annual income of $200,000 and this is, or, so you mm-hmm. just, one of these things qualify you, um, $200,000 a year in annual income or 300, if you're doing as a, as a spouse, like two of you, um, 
And then there's some deeper meanings, like if you're going to go through a trust or a, an investment company or entity, you have to have $5 million worth of assets um, in order to be a qualified investor, which some things, if they have a little bit more risk, require you to be qualified instead of accredited. That means a $2 million net worth. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you want to go around all of this and you just have a lot of disposable income, but maybe you don't have a million dollar net worth yet, um, you can just take your series 65. The SEC in 2020 decided that they were going to make this space more accessible by allowing people to take their series 65 without a, uh, a brokerage sponsorship. So you no longer have to be sponsored to take the series 65 exam. Oh, um, that's interesting. Yeah. So you can just take the FINRA series 65 exam. It's not very hard, um, but you do need to study. And it just tells you like basic investment terms. Um, you know, you learn the vocabulary, it talks a lot about insurance products, which might help you if you're like ever approached with an insurance sale person. And, uh, but it just gives you kind of enough knowledge to make smarter, more educated decisions. And so then they've decided that your series 65 makes you an accredited investor. So it's a little workaround if you're not quite there with your asset. Right, right I gotcha. Yeah, you know, uh, at Brawl, we're trying to build a syndicate of investors and get women to all to come together to contribute this a little bit. Like you put a whole bunch of jars together and they're all gonna have their own jar. Um, yeah. And then we're gonna take it to someone like you and say, here's our jar. Yeah. <laughs> you you figure it out. That's what I think is the best thing is about what you're doing and what funds provide mm-hmm. is you guys are doing all the work. Just yes. you do all the work, you watch them, just here's my cash. And just give me my check when it's done. Yeah. So there's a couple ways you can do this. So we're not financial advisors. We're not a registered investment advisor. We're not any type of anything. We are literally super biased about our own funds. I we're doing it. this. Like this is our strategy. Just understand this that. So we love. Yeah. Do not come to us about your portfolio advice. We don't care what you do with your money. We just care about the money that you give us. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, our fiduciary responsibility is to our fund and that's it. So, um, you know, you can do it through an SPV, which is a special purpose vehicle, which is a lot how a lot of these venture capitals are raising capital. Um, uh, it's kind of like a workaround to a fund and they were created, it's kind of a new thing, SPVs. And um, it's where a bunch of individuals can do small amounts of money and go into this special little purpose vehicle. And then that special purpose vehicle goes into um, a different fund. Um, it's a smaller version of what a fund to fund is. And then people who want to raise like less than, you know, a million dollars, uh, there, the other way that you could go, and this might be more creative for you guys and also more fun since you already are a networking group is to actually have the bra investment club An investment club doesn't, yeah, an investment (laughs) club, it it requires a little bit more legwork as far as like the structure goes, but you do not have to be an accredited investor to be in an investment club. Um, But the managing person does need to be an accredited investor. Um, You cannot invest all of your capital into one place. You have to go at least three different places. Um, And you can't be more than 40% invested in one thing. So there's a couple different like, um, and I'm not a lawyer, so don't take this as legal advice, but there's a couple different requirements that an investment club uh, has to have, but I think that that's probably going to be a better solution for you because, um, at least from my experience of meeting the people at the Wealthy Woman Summit, mm-hmm. is that they're capable of writing a fifteen or twenty five thousand dollar check. Yeah, 
which is going to be more at the level of an investment club than in a SPV. Because your SPV is going to be more of your $5,000 people all coming together, $10,000. So an investment club is going to be more uh, collaborative, um, you know, voting on what you guys want to vote. Invest in and yeah, like. Yeah. And then somebody is in charge of managing that. Uh, They get paid. Sometimes they get paid a fee. Sometimes they don't. Um, And then you guys just are invested through that entity and that controls whatever they're invested in and. Um, you can get, you know, pitched all together. There's several right. of these investment clubs around. Um, and after this, I'll send you some links to them so you can see how they look. Sure. That's going to be more, I think that's going to be more up bras alley than trying to do an SPV for all these different things you guys are doing. Yeah. Well, that's great advice. I appreciate that. I'm a part of an investment club, for, but it's just re- commercial real estate. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we're called the real estate goddesses. Oh, and and the founder is a bra member and she just brings properties together. And, you know, there's like a factory in it's not in California. We're not investing anything in California, (laughs) like a a factory in Mississippi. You know, we've got this uh, commercial property in Arizona and and everything. Um, So it does take kind of the, I think what happens is women get in their head that like, oh, I don't know it. So then I can't, I can't possibly be a part of something like this. Um, And then they, basically make decisions based on fear, right? So because I don't know it, I'm going to screw it up. I'm going to lose this and, you know, go to destitute and be on the street when that's really not like that. Yeah. Do you, do you guys invest all together in an entity or do you guys just review deals together and some people invest and some don't? We review and then decide okay. who, you know, and then what, at what level we want to be in and if we have to bring in other investment clubs or people. So it's, it's, I get all the emails and I'm just like, mm, okay, yes. <laughs> like, what do you guys want to do? Like, yeah. So it just, it just depends. I definitely agree with you by not keeping your money sitting in a savings account because it is not yes. doing you any good. Um, and they're just loaning that money out to companies. You probably don't want their money, your money to be going to investing in. So invest in something you're passionate about. Yes. Um, that is for sure. Um, Kelly, this has been, there's been so much knowledge in here. <laughs> Um, before we get carried away, what, what's some last minute parting words, advice, or, you know, you would give to someone who's just starting out and in investing, like something they should avoid, something you would recommend other than call you, (laughs) what what, what would you say to someone who's just starting out? Um, my biggest piece of advice is that, um, and I do this all the time. I throw financial advisors under the bus all the time, but, um, if you're, if you want a financial advisor, find an independent advisor, like find an RIA, which is a registered independent, like investment advisor. Um, these people are typically not as attached to a large brokerage. They have their own investment strategy. They can do different stuff. They can invest in private deals. They can invest in the stock market. Like they're, uh, have a little bit more freedom than if you were going to go to your Edward Jones or, mm. Fidelity's Charles Schwab's anything like that because those people can only sell that product Fidelity products Charles Schwab products you know so um, there's better people you can have on your financial decision making team and that's going to be a CPA or a tax strategist a tax planner and an estate attorney like find those two people and then go find somebody to deal with your money because those two those two people are going to structure you financially like in a really efficient way where now your investments are going to be more powerful. So, 
having a tax strategist that can work with you on where's your money now and how can we plan for your future money? So when you're making those investments, they're going into the right buckets to then grow at the most tax efficient way possible. And then your estate attorney is going to make sure that those buckets are protected um, and structured so that when you pass away, it's going to the right place at the right time and you're paying the right taxes. And the right taxes. So those two people are more beneficial for you than a financial advisor. Just, okay. Just my, two, my two yes. cents. Yes. Um, you can do a lot more with those two people on your team than you can a financial advisor. Okay. I think uh, that's great advice. Yeah. I think that's my, that's my biggest two cents is find a, find a really good CPA and a really good estate attorney. And I've got both of them. So if you want those things, I can always make a referral. Awesome. How can we get a hold of you, Kelly? Um, I'm super accessible on LinkedIn. So I don't manage a lot of my social media, but LinkedIn, I do. I'm obsessed with my LinkedIn. So if you want to talk to me directly, like LinkedIn's the best place to go. I post a lot of information on there. I talk about relevant, like uh, current events, um, any type of event that I'm going to, or I'm speaking at or whatever is on LinkedIn. So find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty sure I'm the only Kellyanne Winget. The only other Kellyanne Winget I know is a Bollywood star. So, you know, just when you're choosing which one to click on, there's me and a Bollywood star. So um, if for those of you who can't see, if you were just listening to this, like I am a 32-year-old white woman. I'm not a Bollywood star. <laughs> Dreams unrealized. There is yes. still time, Kelly. There's still time. <laughs> um, I love that. Now, before we wrap up, let's get carried away um, because I could talk about this stuff forever. I could have a whole podcast on this topic. I love it. Um, and I can't wait to have you back at the Wealthy Women's Summit in 2023. Yes. So um, yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, first, what's something that you absolutely love? Um, maybe you became obsessed with puppies during the pandemic or baking or making your own yeast for sourdough. What's mm -hmm. something you get carried away about? Um, there is a gas station um, called Bucky's. Um, their mascot's like a beaver. And there are these massive gas stations. They have like a hundred pumps. They're only for cars, not for trucks. Okay. They, the inside of the gas station is like a mall. Okay. There it's insane. Like look up Bucky's it's B-U-C-E-E. -E. Okay. And um, it's a Texas based company. It's I'm obsessed for a business reason. So like it's a privately owned company. It's worth an unknown amount of money. I'm pretty sure close to $2 billion. Um, and it's family run. They pay everybody really, really well. I think their starting wage is like $17 an hour. Um, they have wow. like multiple weeks of paid vacation from day one. Like they just treat their employees really well. It's just like the ultimate, like they did it. This oh. is the American dream. This is the business. And so yeah. that's why I like it. Also the beaver's really funny. And um, I just, I collect all of their shirts. They have all these funny shirts. It has like a big giant beaver on it. And um it like has like Christmas beavers and like Thanksgiving beaver. And so like, I have a Halloween one that has like a beaver that has like a skeleton of a beaver. And then on the back, it says, um, can't talk right now. I'm doing spooky stuff. So like, they're just like funny little joke shirts. And so they're a growing business. So they're like in Texas or in, um, Tennessee, like in the South, Tennessee, mm -hmm. Alabama, um, Mississippi, Florida, Georgia. So they're growing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It's really ridiculous. I when, I come, when I come out to California for the Wealthy Women's Summit, I'll bring beaver nuggets and everyone Ooh. can have Bucky's beaver nuggets. 
I want a, I want a wealthy beaver. Yes. <laughs> Just holding up some cash. Yes. 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 The investment beaver. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that. Bucky's never heard of it. Okay. Yes. Um, the, now the opposite of course, is what something other people get totally obsessed and carried away about that you can't stand. For example, I can't wrap my head around why anyone would want to go camping out in the wilderness with bears and stuff, but people love camping. <laughs> what about you? I, I would feel that too, but mine's like, I, the idea of not having a restroom really bothers me. And I don't know why people would choose that. Um, but I think that one, the Kardashians are one of them. Mm. I don't, I don't understand that. Um, she just started a fund. Yes. Ex Carlisle group. And mm -hmm. like, I'm like, you do know that their stocks down like 50 something percent for the year. Yeah. Right. And that's the guy you no. got to run your fund. Um, yeah. No, she don't know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the thing is, it's like you have two directions when you become that kind of net worth and you can go into a family office or you can go into private equity and they should have just stayed a family office. Um, there's no reason for them to deal with retail investors at all. Um, and it's just a way for them to like absorb these little companies they don't want to fight again, like compete yeah. again. Yeah. Well, it's a, it'll be interesting to watch what they do. Um, mm -hmm. I... It's just funny that she did it right after she got fined by the SEC for marketing. Yeah. Isn't that funny how that all happened? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> that's also a whole nother podcast we could talk yeah. about. So I think that's what I could get carried away about that I yeah. The people yeah. that take people that take advantage of the system and then uh do it any I don't know. Just mm -hmm. a lot of that. There's a lot yeah. of that going. Yeah. And if you have if anyone listening hasn't heard about uh, what Kim did to get fined by the FCC. Just Google it. It's quite fascinating. It's basically yeah. insider trading, but you know, hey. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the Twitter, like the stuff with Twitter and what Elon Musk oh, is Musk, doing. yeah. Oh yeah, that should be an interesting just, uh, so, wow. soap opera as well. <laughs> I think that I think that if um, your listeners want like an action item, yeah. it's uh, uh, a, a call to action it would be just start reading the financial news. Like, I know it seems really boring, but like, once you start like looking at it all, you're like, what is going on? It's like, well, this is what's been happening in front of you for decades. Decades, yeah. So yeah, just, you know, suck it up and read it because yeah. it's going to affect you deeply. Do you have an outlet you recommend? Um, you have to read them all. Like you have to okay. really stay as unbiased as possible because yeah. if you sit and read the Wall Street Journal all the time, you're going to get the same bunch of news. Yeah. And so unfortunately you do have to read the crazy from both sides. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I would agree with that um, for sure. <laughs> and it's also different perspectives, different spins, just like with any you know situation that we're all, or news. Um, it's like it's, gold saying oil's going up and oil oil's going down every right. other day. And uh, it's just because they're trading against themselves. So, right. so. <laughs> all right. Well, that's, I don't think anybody's ever said that. <laughs> <laughs> Things to get carried away about. So that would be a first. They have mentioned the Kardashians before that. You're not the first to mention that one. Um, mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. You've given us a lot 
a lot to, to gnaw on right now um, and chew on and really, really focus where we're spending our money and how we can make more, which is our whole goal here. Um, thank you for being a guest, getting carried away. I appreciate you and thank you. Thank you so much. This was a really, really fun podcast. <laughs> Bye.